Greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullet. Uh, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube. <clears throat> you can uh, subscribe to our channel there. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Logical Belief. We should come up and you can subscribe to our feed there. Um, if you want to send me an email, um, you have a message that you want to send me, you have a question, uh, you can send that to jason at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can also just go to the website and uh, go to the contact page, and you can send me a message from there. Just be aware, however, if you do send me a message, you are permitting me to read it on the air. Alrighty, well today we're going to uh, get an episode out um, on a topic that I wasn't really planning on actually uh, covering uh, this weekend. Uh, what I was planning on um, ha discussing this weekend was uh, I wanted to go into uh, some of the history and and present-day theology of groups that would refer to themselves as Anabaptists. And and in that discussion, I'm not, I don't want to necessarily uh, discuss those Southern Baptist groups or some of those Baptist groups that um, call themselves Anabaptists today when they don't really have a historical pedigree towards Anabaptism. Um, uh, you know, we would maybe be addressing some of them indirectly, but I just don't think there's a lot of material and a lot of work done present day uh, when it comes to addressing uh, some of the egregious errors uh, that exists within Anabaptist denominations. And the reason why that this is something that's very important to me is because that's my own history. Uh, that is where I come from, and so I have a heart for those that are caught up in that and are in that particular system and don't recognize a lot of the errors um, and very serious errors. In fact, errors that would go back to even why the Reformation even happened in the first place. And so uh, that is a topic I want to discuss. Uh, that was We had plans to discuss that this weekend, but um, <clears throat> you know who you are. Um, you know, I, I won't mention your name, Kevin, but... Uh, uh, you know who you are out there. So uh, I have a I had a guest lined up, and uh, we were going to discuss about this, but uh, not quite ready yet. So <laughs> we will just postpone that for uh, the uh, time being, and we'll uh, we'll just move on. We'll move forward um, without that for now. But uh, that is something that we will be addressing in the future. Um, I do want to. Uh, briefly mention I did post uh, an article and I didn't mention it last week but I did post an article that kind of came out of the episode that we did on um, do God do Christians Jews and Muslims worship the same God um, kind of out of that came an article 
that I wrote called Shadows of the Trinity in the Old Testament. And so if you're interested in that, um, I, I give several examples in the Old Testament where we can see um, the types and shadows of the triune nature of God in the Old Testament scriptures. You know, I, I believe that the Trinity was something that was revealed between the Testaments. It was it was revealed to the apostles. It was revealed with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Trinity became a fuller revelation. And so we can now then look back into the Old Testament and we can see hints and shadows of God already uh, giving us hints that he is multi-personal within his one being of God. So uh, that's just uh, something that uh, might interest you, so go ahead and check that article out. Um, <clears throat> however, today what I am going to discuss instead of Anabaptism is we are going to discuss uh, a topic that kind of came up as a result of the article that I wrote uh, entitled A Biblical Response to 50 Reasons Why I Don't Drink. So what came up in that, because my primary issue with that particular article that I was addressing was uh, the woman who wrote the article, uh, Jamie Morgan, I addressed quite strongly um, her position as a pastor, as a lead pastor within a um, professing Christian church. And so... My position on that uh, did uh, raise some hackles out there on uh, my strong position that I believe the Bible is abundantly clear on whether or not women uh, should serve in a in a position of of an elder um, and a position of of teaching uh, the congregation as a whole and men. Uh, in, within the context of the church. I think Scripture is so clear on that that we cannot, <clears throat> as Christians, uh, really back down from that. And historically, what we've actually seen, and I believe uh, Matt Slick from Karm.org, I, I didn't actually find uh, if he has an article on that or not, but uh, I have heard him mention, and I believe he does have um, some sort of chart out there of churches that have folded on the issue of women pastors. And typically within 20 to 30 years, that particular denomination or church is adopting and accepting things like homosexuality and homosexual marriage. Uh, mirage uh, would be the better uh, Doug Wilson um, euphemism there. Uh, <clears throat> so once you have denied the clear, abundantly clear teaching, in scripture to uh, why women are not, God has not, that is not the role that God has placed them in. Once you deny the clear teaching in scripture that God has not placed women in the role of being the elders and teachers in the church, once you deny that and you say that there was only a historical context to that, you have pulled the rug out from underneath yourself for saying that homosexuality um, is still a sin today because the so-called gay Christian activists can come back with the same argument. 
that you just made for uh, women pastors, and they can say that, well, there was a contextual application to that at that time, but that doesn't apply to us today. Very same argument. And so once you have denied the clear teaching of Scripture on this particular topic, you will have to, by necessity, fold on other issues. And then it becomes an attack on the gospel itself. If we can no longer use Scripture to define sin, then then we don't have a gospel because sin is what Christ came to save us from. And if we can't define what Christ came to save us from, then what is he saving us from? It's it's a fundamental attack at the foundation of the gospel itself. So it is it is inconsistent and irrational for someone to claim to be a uh, gay Christian and at the same time say that they believe the gospel. Um, there is a fundamental at the core of the gospel conflict there that uh, it cannot be resolved. And when churches and denominations fold on this issue of women pastors, uh, you're going to see an acceptance of other sins in the near future. And that is what we have historically seen. But let's go ahead and actually address what I wanted to do. The reason I want to do this episode is I want to address some of the common arguments that I was given and maybe help equip you out there if you're interested in this topic and if you've had people um, maybe confront you on it or talk about this article this particular topic of women in eldership and uh, positions of authority within the church, and you didn't really know how to address them biblically, hopefully I can help equip you with some of this. So I'll, I'll go ahead and give, uh, let's, let's first go through what Scripture does actually say about this, and then let's go with some of the arguments that I encountered uh, as a result of this article. So, the first thing that we need to look at is Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, Timothy uh, most likely was um, one of the elders at the church in Ephesus at this time, and Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, and he says here, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So, Paul's reason here to Timothy for why women are not to exercise authority or teach a man in the context of the church, but rather to remain quiet, is because of the fall. He appeals to the fall and Eve being the first deceived and also as Adam because of Adam being the first created as why he has that position and then why Eve does not have that position is because of her being first deceived. And so this is the reason Paul gives. Now, as you encounter arguments against the clear biblical teaching on this, what you're going to start seeing is almost all of them that I have seen um, 
are arguments about that it had a context at that time. But the problem is, is that's not the reason that Paul gives. Uh, Paul doesn't give a present-day New Testament reality or a reality within the time of the New Testament, the time of the writing of this, as for why uh, women should not exercise authority and be teaching over men in the context of the church. That's not the reason that he gives. He appeals back to the fall. He appeals back to the fact that Eve was the first deceived and Adam was the first created. And so let's uh, look in the next chapter of 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says... Um, in verse 2 we have let me actually um, pull up this text here um, okay there we go so First Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 therefore an overseer an episkopos must be above reproach the husband of one wife sober minded self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So notice here in this text that the one who is to be an overseer is to be the husband of one wife. Also, the term episkopos is a is a masculine noun in Greek. So this position is obviously um, being referred to as a man, uh, the husband of one wife. Unless you're accepting homosexual marriage, um, an elder in a church, a woman elder, uh, cannot be the husband of one wife. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, now he's speaking um, to the qualifications for deacons. And he says, he begins in verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongue not addicted to much wine not greedy for dishonest gain and then he goes let the deacons each be the husband down in verse 12 the husband of one wife again the same thing that he had said for the episcopos the 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 overseer now he's saying that the deacons must also be the husband of one wife managing their children and their own households well Uh, we also see paul when he writes to titus not just Timothy, when he writes to Titus, he says the same thing. He goes, um, oh, let's pull up the text. Okay, so beginning at verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Let me pull up... Uh, where did I put this? I, I put a note on this. Give me a second here. So here the word elder is presbyteros, which is once again a masculine word. Um, so he appointed elders. If you go through the book of Acts, you can see Paul successively pointing elders in the different towns that he ministered in and established churches in. And so this is a, a masculine adjective um, and or noun in this case uh, in every town that I directed you if if anyone is above reproach the husband of one wife once again he's given the instruction here the husband of one wife and his children are believers um, here we have a masculine pronoun 
his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must, uh, and here we have the word uh, episkopos again, uh, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard, violent or greedy for gain. So we see that Paul, in writing to two of his protégés, he's instructing them um, that overseers and elders and deacons are to be the husbands of one wife. And it's clearly um, in the text uh, in reference to uh, men. And so one of the arguments... Uh, that I've been given was one of the first ones that I encountered was, and this was somebody on Facebook um, asked me this question. He said, well, if, if you're saying that women can't um, pray or prophesy in church, why does it say in first Corinthians 11, it says, in verse five, but it says, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So he's saying here that women here in 1 Corinthians 11.5 are, are being told that they can prophesy and pray in church. The problem is that's not what the text says. Um, women today that go to churches that don't have women pastors still pray and exhort on the word, right? They teach the word to others. They teach it to their children, they teach it to uh, in their Sunday school classes. Um, they witness to people on the street. They share the gospel. Uh, why are you assuming that in this context it's referring to the church? And if it is referring to the church, then Paul must have directly contradicted himself only a few chapters later. So this is the question that I asked this person. I said, so if you're saying that 1 Corinthians 11.5 is speaking about women praying and prophesying in the context of the church... Of the church gathered together for the purpose of worshiping God. If you're saying that that is the context in which uh, Paul was speaking, then it, did Paul directly contradict himself in 1 Corinthians 14.34? And in 1 Corinthians 14.34, it says, The women are to keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject, but are to subject themselves um just as the law also says. So, in this um, <clears throat> in this text, the word silent here is sigao, sigao. And what it really means is to keep your peace or to hold it down. In fact, um, I had looked it up. There was uh, when one of the, uh, the same word is used... When, uh, let's actually find it here in Luke chapter 18, verse 39. When a blind man, when he was, uh, when Jesus was walking close to Jericho, was calling out and yelling out to, to Jesus, the crowd told him to keep it down. And so, <clears throat> and yeah, I'll just read it. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So what they were doing is telling him to keep it down. And so what Paul is saying here in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14.34 is he's telling that women should keep it down and uh, keep their peace in church. It's not that they should completely shut up. There's, in fact, another word in Greek to... Uh, to be put to silence, to be completely speechless, and to be muzzled, basically. Um, and that is the word fimao, fimao. I have it here in my Vines Dictionary up here. So the word fimao um, is, is the word that would be used in that particular case. So that's not the word that Paul chooses to use here. He instead uses sigao. So... <clears throat> So women are to keep it down and to keep the peace in church. So did Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 14.34, did he contradict himself um, when he, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11.5, did he contradict himself just a few chapters later? And I would think not. In fact, I didn't even get a response. Uh, The person didn't even respond when I asked him that question. So... I did have somebody that uh, that really uh, engaged with me um, quite a bit on my website uh, on this particular topic, and he brought up several different points. And so I want to address <clears throat> one of them that he brought up. And he he was saying that there was a historical context that Paul was referring to in Ephesus that... Um, that Paul was writing to Timothy in Ephesus and he was telling women uh, to keep silent because there was a temple of the Greek goddess Artemis and Ar- Arte- Artemis? Ar- Artemis, I think Artemis is how you pronounce that. Uh, also the goddess Diana, <coughs> the hunter. But he was saying that because of that, uh, that was the Paul. That was the reason Paul was give, uh, giving women to be silent because they didn't want to promote, you know, women in authority and things like that. Because you know we had this Greek goddess here, and um, and they wanted to put down this uh, <clears throat> Greek mother goddess mythology, and so. Um, so it's 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 a very weak argument, but the issue that I brought up with him is that's not the reason Paul gave. Paul appealed back to what happened at the fall for the reason why women should not hold positions of authority over the church. <clears throat> and so the argument falls flat on his face. So in Romans uh chapter 16 verse 7 was a verse that he brought up and this particular verse I'll read it in multiple different translations but uh, well I'll read it in the ESV first and and he he gave it to me in the NIV Um, it's uh, greet Andronicus and Janiah my kinsmen and fellow prisoners they are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So that's how it reads in the ESV. He placed it in the NIV, 
and this is what it says in the NIV, Greek, Andronicus and Janiah, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. They were in Christ before I was. So they were followers of Jesus before Paul, and in the NIV it would seem to imply that that uh, Andronicus and Janiah were outstanding among the apostles so that they were possibly apostles themselves. And so this was the argument that he was giving. And so my, I had several responses to that. But my first response to that was, okay, so we're going to use a text of Scripture that is unclear. In fact, we have the uh, Holman Christian standard that uh, translated translates it as they were noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles. Um, we have the ESV, which I just read. We have the NET that translates it exactly that way, the same way it does the ESV. They're well known to the apostles. And <clears throat> we're going to use a text that is unclear to overthrow a text that is abundantly clear. In fact, multiple texts that are abundantly clear. And so that that is that is having our hermeneutics completely backwards. Uh, that's not how we do exegesis, and that's not how we use proper rules of uh, hermeneutics. We don't take unclear texts, and we use those to overwrite those that are abundantly clear. The other thing is, is there are several assumptions that are going on here. In fact, one of the assumptions is is that the name Janiah is a woman in the first place. Uh, in fact, um, there is some early attestation to possibly Janiah actually not being a woman anyway. Uh, Origen refers to Janiah as a man, and so does Epiphanius of uh, Salamis refers to him also as a man. So, or uh, Janiah as a man. Uh, another uh, text says it as Janias, but... Uh, so there's several even assumptions there, even if it was, if it did mean that these were actually apostles, even though I would argue that they probably weren't apostles. In fact, if you use, um, if I can find it here, I made a note here. Yeah, if if you use the way that the Greek um, prominent among uh, is epistemos n, and if you if you actually look at a usage of that term in in uh, Euripides's uh, Hippolytus chapter one three, where it's speaking of the goddess Aphrodite. It says, it uses the exact same term, is famous among mortals, but it doesn't mean that she was a mortal. And so, using exact same terminology, so just because it even has the connotation of being, um, being highly respected or outstanding among the apostles in the Greek, it doesn't necessarily mean that the subject of that sentence is necessarily a member of the direct object 
is a member of the apostles. It just means that they're, they are outstanding or um, famous among this particular group. And so the, the text just doesn't, doesn't uh, give that. And once again, we don't use unclear texts in order to interpret those texts uh, that are abundantly clear. Uh, one of the other questions that this individual kept, he asked me uh, twice. First time I didn't even address it. Uh, I thought it wasn't a very good question, but uh, he kept uh, pushing me to answer this question. And so I finally did. And so if you get this particular question, uh, this would be a good way to respond to that. He, he, he asked me, he said, let me ask you this. Wouldn't it be a great triumph for the devil if he could persuade half the church to not allow half the available ministers to minister the presence of God into people's hearts and lives? Well, the issue with this question is that it is begging the question. Uh, and I told him that. I said, the problem with your question is that it assumes what you are supposed to be proving. It's begging the question. Your question assumes that women are part of the available ministers to be in the, a position of teaching and authority in the church. This is what you are supposed to be proving. You're using a circular argument. And so don't let people stump you up with questions like that. Uh, make them actually prove what they're supposed to be proving. Uh, this individual also brought up uh, Deborah in the Old Testament, which I've heard this argument before. Well, here's the thing. Once again, we that hold what the Scripture says, we're talking about in the context of the church. Was Deborah a priest? In fact, uh, in, under the Levitical Code, under the Mosaic Code, could women actually be priests and served as the spiritual leaders um, and teachers for the children of Israel? And the answer to that is no. No, it was only men and those who were Levites. Um, you could even say, well, it's it's not fair. You know, somebody in the tribe of uh, Asherah may have wanted to be, or Asher, <laughs> uh, or... Um, the tribe of Ephraim may have wanted to be um, a priest, but uh, you know, was was God simply saying that the Levites were just better than than others? No, this is God's design and order, and we as human beings, as God's creatures, as His image bearers, need to humbly submit ourselves to what He says. And if God says that women are not to be in a position of teaching and authority in the church, then that settles it. You know, we can have all our reasons for why we don't like that. But, um, you know, that's not necessarily something that I like to, you know, go out there and, um, and have to defend. But I will, because that's what the Word of God says. And so, back to Deborah. Was Deborah a spiritual leader? No, she was a judge over Israel. I don't have any problem with women being CEOs, being uh, managers. Uh, the place that I work at, there's women that are managers. Um, higher up on the scale than I am. I don't have any problem with that. In fact, I don't report to a woman right now, but if I did, 
I wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, I wouldn't leave my job because I had to report to a woman. Um, in fact, there's many women women in uh, the uh, the profession that I'm in that are very skilled in what they do and, and make great managers. So I have no problem with that. Um, so, you know, women can be senators. They can be congresswomen. Um, there's no issue with that. We are, once again, it's a category error to, and I've often seen this conflated every time uh, someone attacks those of us who take this stance on what the Bible says about women in a teaching and authority position in the church will often conflate the categories. They will say, well, you're just saying that women aren't capable of being in leadership. No, that's a straw man. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that God has not placed women into the role of being in a position of teaching and authority within the church. And the Bible is abundantly clear. You can give all kinds of different contexts uh, for why Paul gave this instruction to Timothy and Titus and in Corinthians. And in fact, one of my responses to uh, the allegation that it was just the temple uh, of Artemis in Ephesus, the temple of Diana in Ephesus, that was the issue and why Paul wrote this was, okay, well, then why did Paul write it to Corinth? Why did Paul um, write it to Titus? And thirdly, as we look through the book of Acts and we look through um, the uses of the terms episkopos and presbyteros throughout the entire New Testament, the words are masculine words in the Greek language. And they're in Acts, Peter, James, Philippians, Revelation, even in the Gospels. So did this temple in Ephesus contextually, you know, uh, make this application that you're saying that women could not be in leadership because of this temple in Ephesus? Did that apply to all these other locations where these books were written to? Um, the argument just doesn't stand. And once again, the argument does not stand because that is not the reason that Paul gives. Paul gave the reason for why. He said that w this is not um, the role and position that God has established for women. Uh, he gave the reason why. And we even see um, that in the Old Testament, that a position of teaching authority within the assembled people of God was not given to women. Can women expound the word can they share the gospel can they minister to others can they um outside of the context of the church can they uh teach men in different ways yes absolutely um but within the context of the church and in the body of the local assembled body of christ the bible is abundantly clear women are not to be in a position of leadership and you cannot get around the clear text um, unless you make Paul contradict himself, unless you take an unclear passage to overturn what is clearly taught. And so, um, see if there's anything else here that I was going to touch on this. I think that is um, all we're going to have on that today. So, apologize for just being a shorter episode today, but um, we uh, will hopefully get back on track on uh, some of the things that we have planned to come up so uh, just stay tuned and uh, we'll see you guys next week and god bless
God inherit God's kingdom.